if you follow the geopolitical state lately, that two words should come to your mind. And number one, it's polarization. And number two, it's what we called extremism. Now, those two words don't really sound appealing to any of us. And given the fact that today, looking at the case in the U.S. and looking at the case in some countries in Asia, political and also economic polarization starting to get more noises. And as a matter of fact, and voters today are getting more confused because of political polarization. And meanwhile, at the same time, when we think about the case and also when we think about the argument and regarding what we called ex political extremism, and also it's dangerous from some of the large countries as well. But meanwhile, in this episode, we need to shift our gear to one of the crucial countries in Europe, which is Germany. Now, how much did you know about what we called the radical conservatism when it comes to the nation of Germany? And also some believe that today, because of the political empowerment, that the nation or some political parties within Germany is trying to banning what we called the radical conservatism. And it is going to happen. And in year of 2024, how much can we understand the future for the country? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, and who is Paul Hockenos. Again, Paul, it's a Berlin-based journalist. And recently, he came out with this brand new article, which is entitled, Germany is thinking of simply banning the far right as radical conservatives continue to rise. Germany's mainstream is getting desperate for a fix. Well, Paul, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. Thank you for having me, Will. Always a pleasure. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Paul, again, as we mentioned before, recently you came out with this brand new article. Now, let's get to the question right away. I have to say that before reading this article, it's rather unknown or unheard to all of us that when we think about the term, it's called radical conservatism. Let's start the conversation right there. What does that mean when we talk about the political state in Germany today? How should we define radical conservatism? And also, this is something you also mentioned in the article as well. And again, a phrase is called extreme right orientation of the party. What does that mean to the in a general okay, sense? Well, the, I mean, these, these days, the term that we're using for these parties is far right or hard right. I mean, they can, there are a number of different parties that, um, I mean, in every country in Europe, there is at least one of them mm. that are, can be defined by being illiberal, authoritarian, racist, uh, xenophobic, very much against migration of any kind, also against um, climate, climate change measures within countries. You know, they stand outside of the political spectrum of democratic parties. The democratic parties range from you know, conservative all the way over to democratic socialists. The far right or the hard right, um, the term was used radical conservatism in the, in the FP article, um, you know, they are on the outside of that, that spectrum. Now in Germany, the party is called the Alternative for Germany or mm. AFD. And they came about first in 
in response to the euro. They were against leaving the, the Deutschmark and uh, Germany entering the, the euro uh, currency. But over the years, they have become ever more radical. Mm. Um, they become more outrightly xenophobic. They become more outrightly um, uh, linked to even neo-Nazis. Um, it's, it's really gone very, very far. Um, and what had been the, the extreme the extremists within that party are now the mainstream. And they have been doing very well, this party, the AFD, in local elections in even in Western Germany, although it's certainly the case that their bastion is in Eastern Germany. And uh, later uh, next year, there are going to be elections in three of the, the easternmost states, Saxony, Saxony-Anhalt, and Thuringen, mm. Thuringia. Uh, where this party is right now polling around 30%. So, I mean, this is also in the context of the fact that there are a lot of elections going on in Europe uh, next year, um, and the far right is polling very high in many of the different countries. And so in the June, we're also going to have the European, the EU parliament elections. And, you know, I mean, should these kinds of parties who are all have their have their own grouping and association within the EU, should they do very, very well? I mean, we could be talking about a very different kind of EU. Mm. Paul, I want to go back to the article and I'll read a statement that you wrote and want to get your further explanation. This is what you wrote. Opinion polls show the AFD as the strongest party by far today in Eastern Germany, riding a powerful wave of anti-immigrant sentiment. It also notched record tallies in Western German state election, is poised to win the most votes next year in the country's eastern half. Now, let's talk about this anti-immigrant sentiment. What does that mean, by the way? I mean, again, if I mean, as I mentioned before in the intro, when we talk about political polarization, when we talk about political extremism, that one of the rhetoric towards the uh, immigration policy, it's basically, I guess, what we say, uh, the immigrants or immigration elimination. Because for, for the U.S. or for some countries, they consider that the illegal immigrants or maybe the legal uh, uh, immigrants are actually the threat to democracy for the country. Now, what does that mean when we talk about the case in Germany, especially shows the AFD riding a powerful wave of anti-immigrant sentiment? Number one, what is the meaning behind that? And number two, how well does that uh, uh, well received among the voters in uh, the nation today? What do you say to that? Well, I mean, we can we can talk beyond Germany. We can talk really about all of Europe when we're talking about uh, migration, anti anti immigrant sentiment, and and this far right because it is what fuels all of these parties. And just recently in the Netherlands, for example, the, the far right party of Gerrit Wilders, uh, you know, won, received the most votes in, in that election. So okay, what's the situation here? I mean, there is today a huge amount of, it, of illegal uh, movement from beyond Germany's, in particular, its southernmost borders into Greece, Italy, Bulgaria. Um, people who then move their way up through the continent and find their way into Germany, elsewhere in, in Northern Europe. 
So everywhere, these kinds of, 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 of immigrants, these kinds of migrants are showing up. Now, in Germany, there is a right to political asylum, which is a very important right. And most of these people then apply for uh, political asylum. And then it takes often sometimes years for their, their cases to be adjudicated. And they, they, they live here and one way or another can get, um, you know, ma manage to stay. It's, I mean, it's a very complicated issue, the whole migration issue. It's, it's next to impossible for Germany or other European countries to actually send these people back, you know, in part because they might not have papers or their countries won't take them. It just, it just doesn't work. So we, we do have a high number of refugees and migrants crossing into the European Union. Um, and that it's felt in some places more acutely than others. I mean, when there are, for example, um, you know, uh, kinds of, you know, hostels where, 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 where migrants would, would be put, if you, they, if it happens in a city, you, you really don't know, know about it. You can't see it because the cities are already so mixed, but rural, rural uh, locations, you know, it really makes quite a big difference. And it's very obvious to people um that, that that they are that they are there and you know people are tend to be scared of what they don't know of, of of foreign nationals coming to them i think that also for the people who who end up voting for the hard right or the extreme right you know they would say you know why is money being spent on these people and not us i mean we have crummy jobs and aren't making significant money we're unemployed you know, we live much less, much worse than, you know, people somewhere or somewhere, somewhere else. Um, you know, what, why are all these migrants coming here, um, you know, taking from us? And I mean, it is also a fact that it is a very expensive proposition to host these people who many end up staying. Some find their way into the workforce. There's no doubt about that. I mean, take, for example, the, the great wave of migration in 2015, 2016. Mm. Um, you know, Germany alone had a, mil a mil million people came. Well, I mean, what we've seen is that since then, half of them are working and paying taxes. That's really good. The other half isn't. And you know they 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 take a lot of uh, social social monies. It's a very expensive proposition. You know once they've been here for a certain amount of time and they get citizen status, then you know they can also invite families to come. So um, it's it's very very complicated. You know there are those people who think you know we should we should we should address the 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 reasons for migration. I mean why are these people migrating? Which you know is is, is of course. Um, it could be political persecution in their countries, and, or it could simply be the economic um, and be poverty. Um, there are other people who say we have to stop things at the borders. So you know, I mean, we we just we just put up big fences and boats, and to people come, and we you know, we we we, set, we don't let them we don't let them land. We bring them back, or we bring them even to a, a, a different country. And then there are those people, and I think I'm probably far more into this category, who think that actually. Migration isn't such a such a big problem or or so uh, immensely costly, and that this point should be made more clearly by politicians uh, rather than what happens is they kind of jump on the bandwagon of the far right, also say that migration is 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 is, is wrong and terrible and something to be scared of, and ultimately then drive voters into the hands of the far right.
that's what opinion, that's what that's what studies show that when these conservative parties kind of move over and take the take try they try to steal the thunder of the of the far right they end up only boosting it mm. and this is what we're seeing right now and I'm very worried that we're going to be continuing to see this in year 2024 Paul, when, we, when it comes to uh, the immigration policy or when it comes to the uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric, I mean, uh, today, again, going back to the uh, the case in the U.S., of course, we have to bring this elephant in the room into our picture, which is Donald Trump. You know, uh, previously, when Donald Trump was the president for the U.S., and he was very much anti-immigrants, and especially towards those illegal immigrants. And, of course, that's why he's... Uh, immigration policy was so controversial. Now, as we are looking at the sitting U.S. President Joe Biden, I mean, the border issue, it's also a hot mess at this moment. Now, some argue that today, when politicians or when presidential candidates are actually debating this immigration policy, majority voters believe they're using this as a political soundbite in order to uh, woo over the uh, votes from the voters. Now, I want to press uh, ahead with a question is, when we look at this anti-immigrant sentiment, now today in the Germany's political state, how much do we believe the politicians today or the policymakers today are actually looking forward to uh, offering tangible solutions to this crisis? Or just like the US, the politicians or even the far right or what we call radical conservatism, they're using this case also as a political soundbite and without offering any tangible solutions. What do you say to that, Paul? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, and I certainly think that the far-right parties are, are, are jumping on this uh, out of opportunistic reasons. And they know that it's a very sensitive topic that, that is very emotional and that they can make good use of it this has happened in the past uh you know we we've seen it before and, and we know this i mean as for the democratic spectrum of, of politicians i would say that there are there are some um that that, that have been trying very hard to, to to come to grips with this both in the united states and in europe as well i mean it's, it's a very difficult problem and it gets worse the more people in the global south or in you know, impoverished countries the more impoverished they become um be that because of you know civil conflict or uh, misgovernment or, or or the climate crisis and so i mean there is this pressure um and how to deal with it it's it, it's very difficult um i mean the united states has always been a country that has taken lots of migrants and has <laughs> a country of migrants and has has profited from it. Um, Europe has profited as well, but doesn't see itself in, in those shoes. Um, you know, the question of political asylum is a particularly important one for Europeans and for Germany, for example. Um, um, you know, you know, millions of people in Nazi Germany tried to escape and could not. They were rejected from Canada, from the United States, from from South America. There's one famous boatload of people. I think it was the St. Louis that you know stopped in Canada and then then in New York and then in Cuba got sent back to to Europe. And you know, the, it's in, the 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 people on the on the boat ended up you know being murdered in Auschwitz. Um, so so that's why it's it's a very sensitive topic and. What really gets me when you're talking about about the you know, kind of the way politicians might use it is the fact that conservative politicians who who should know better 
know, they are trying, they're using language of the, the far right. They're coming out with very strong anti-immigrant stances because they know it will be um, have good resonance in the population, but utterly uh, in, in the end makes the whole situation worse because there is going to be my immigration of, of different kinds. Um, you know, the right to political asylum is not going to be uh, eliminated. Um, the, 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 the countries mean we need more labor force. And so, I mean, so there, there's, there are a lot of different issues there that all kind of are kind of coming together and, and are all mixed up. But I mean, the European Union just recently, you know, passed new legislation, you know, making it more difficult for people to come into the European Union and apply for political asylum. So, I mean, there are already measures that are happening right now to, to deal with this topic. Speaking of uh, European Union, now I want to go back to the article. Again, that Paul, this is something that you wrote, and I quote, Across yeah. the EU, conservative parties have turned far-right parties into governing coalition partners, including Austria, Croatia, Denmark, Finland, Italy, Slovakia, and elsewhere. Now, what does that mean? By the way, again, this is something that also brand new to us and also to our viewers. How should we understand that Across the EU, conservative parties have turned far-right parties into governing coalition and including all those countries. What does that mean? And also, what does that signify for the bigger picture? Okay. Well, I mean, this is a, this, we right now have a situation in Europe where all of those countries that you just mentioned are being either ruled by a, a far-right leader, I mean, Hungary, Orban, uh, is probably the best example, although Italy as well. Um, or there are far right wing parties in the ruling coalition, or in the in the case of Sweden, for example, there's a far right party that's not in the coalition, but basically it's a, it's a minority government and it is um, de, de, de facto part of it. All decisions mm -hmm. are made with this party as well. So, I mean, we've seen since it happened in Austria, I think that was in 1998, that the far-right Freedom Party you know, joined a coalition with the conservatives in Austria to, to govern Austria for four years. And there was a huge outcry then. And there was a question whether this government should be uh, you know, penalized within the European Union or whether there should, should be sanctions against it or whatever. And, and since then, it's become common. Mm. Uh, it's just simply, um, you know, the way, it's, the way it is that when a, a, a political party receives a certain amount of votes that that's democratically legitimated, or this was a political will of however many percent of the population voted for it, and that the other parties, you know, primarily the conservatives, are willing to say, okay, um, you know, we have to accept this. And they will, you know, the, the, the best way to, to, to deal with this as well is to, you know, have them in, in government and, and making decisions rather than simply on the outside, um, you know, carping at, at, at the government. Um, Germany is in a particularly difficult situation or a really compl complicated one. And because of, because of the past of, of the Nazis um, and the, the, the Nazi era. And so... For decades now, the Conservative Party, the Christian Democrats, that was the party of Angela Merkel, mm. um, uh, you know, has said that you know there is a firewall between it, liberal conservatism, and on the and the far right. 
But this wall is being broken down in Germany. I mean, already we have places where the the, the, the conservatives and even centrist parties have, have passed legislation that relied on the votes of the AFD. Uh, there is a mayor in a town, and I think that's in Saxony now, who is AFD. So they're being elected now as well. And as this party receives more votes, you know, the, the very the very legitimate question is, you know, whether mainstream parties just go on to simply ignore it or sanction it, or do they see it as a you know legitimate expression of of the, of the popular will? I mean, ultimately, then, I mean, if thirty people were to vote for this, thirty percent of uh, you know one of these smaller states were to vote for this party, well, that that, that that's what they think sh should happen. Um, I mean, they should think this this, this party you know, should rule and ultimately then um, execute its 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 campaign promises or, or pledges. But you know, it puts it puts Europe in a very different situation than than when what, what it had been before. And with the number of these parties you know, increasing in in, in government, um, you know, everything from migration policy to climate policy to the nature of the European Union is all at stake. I mean, really, all of the big questions now are on the front burners. Paul, two more questions before letting you go. Now, within the article, you also mentioned someone who is quite well-known around the world, which is the current leader for Hungary, Viktor Orban. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that again, um, throughout the media and also, of course, throughout the centuries, that we read and also we discussed so much about Orban's policy. I mean, again, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, some scholar believe that Orban is today the embodiment of what we called conservatism I mean, in Europe. I mean, again, we're looking at his anti-immigration policy and also his, he pull out or he roll out a policy similar to uh, this, uh, what we call the conservatism, conservatism in the U.S. You know, again, we're looking at this uh, family value, the Christian value, you know, building the wall so we can have the better defense for illegal immigrants, etc. But let's bring this person back to the reality, Paul. How much do we believe that today someone like Viktor Orban is the truly radical conservatism? So in other words, why is that important for you to include or to measure Viktor Orban in your piece? And what does that signify? Again, going back to the relevancy to the nation of Germany. What was the purpose of that? Okay, well, uh, Viktor Orban and his party Fidesz in Hungary are really the, the worst case example of what can happen within the EU um, by democratic means. I mean, ultimately, not only is Viktor Orban an authoritarian leader, he has structured Hungary so that it is next to impossible that an opposition party can in democratic elections overthrow his party, mm. the name of which is, is Fidesz. Uh, the only company that he ever had that where, where the this, this situation in, the, in, in the, this country itself, where, where, where such, such, such a far right leader had come to power was in Poland. And there was the just, just re, but, but Poland recently through elections, just overthrew that government and brought in a liberal democratic um, alternative. And so now Poland 
has shown that actually, you know, as, as, as bad as things were and as much as the, the PIS government had tried to, you know, restructure the state to enable to perpetuate its own rule, it wasn't strong enough. But the, it, there's always been a difference between what was happening in Poland and what was happening in Hungary. Mm. In Hungary, the, they have they have there have been deep structural changes made to every single aspect of society that makes ousting Orban as nearly impossible. Um, I wouldn't use the word conservative with together with Orban, although. He would use that, and also many people in Central European works and would. I mean, in, in, in Western Europe, you know, being conservative, it's still liberal. You're still Democrats. I mean, Angela Merkel was, was, was a fine example. Um, in, in Eastern and Central Europe, some people tell me that they've got their own stripe of conservatism, uh, which isn't, for example, uh, you know, in favor of um, LGBTQ, for example, or um, you know, allowing or, or the, the right to political asylum, for example, um, or allowing any refugees whatsoever um, into their countries. Um, I mean, I call it, I would call that an illiberal conservatism. Mm. Uh, but the the, situ- the situation with Orban in Hungary, it's just it's so surprising. I mean, we really thought uh, that when these countries enter the EU, it will make this kind of development impossible. But the European, it has happened, it's happened again and again. Um, and things have gone so far in, in Hungary that it's really difficult to say if, if they can be turned back at all. And you know, the European Union, yes, there have been economic sanctions against Poland and against Hungary, but they really haven't made all that much of a difference. Unless, of course, you argue that they did make a difference in Poland during the last elections. But I don't think that was the deciding factor. And it certainly hasn't seemed to blunt Orban's um, popularity or the way in which he is structuring and dealing with with the Hungarian state at all. Mm. Paul, the last question I want to ask, again, let's go back to the article. Again, your article is entitled, Germany, it's thinking of simply bending the far right. Now, towards the end of the writing, though, you pointed out one of the strongest arguments against the such bend is that outlawing a party doesn't annul its supporters and sometimes even turbocharges them. I guess the question where we really want to know, again, you're the expert and you're the writer, what does that leave for us? So again, you know, you can bend the party, but you can't really bend the supporters and you can't really silence the the uh, supporters for the uh, radical conservatism or any of the parties in general. So what will be the long-term solution and how feasible and tangible are we going to see the changes within the nation of Germany? Your final thoughts, Paul. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what that's, that's what that article was about 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 the possibility of banning, you know, far right or racist parties. And every country in Europe, you know, has can can ban, and many many have uh, far right or far left wing movements. You know, ones that they feel you know, that that threaten the state, for example. Um, but mostly, these are very. Um, they're, they're extra parliamentary movements. I mean, they're outside of parliament. They're not political parties. They usually have some uh, uh, connection to racism or violence or, or agitating for, for, for violence in a, in a racist way. And over the years, Germany and, and, and France as well, almost 
every Western European country has, you know, acted against political extremism. So, I mean, taking the example of the AFD, um, you know, when I told, I said that when it first came out, it was more of a, of a had, had more of a moderate line, you know, dealing, dealing mostly with the European Union and the European monetary uh, uh, identity, etc. But they've become ever more right-wing. They've become ever more racist. They've become ever more like the, the Nazi or the neo-Nazi parties that had been banned in the past. Uh, and those countries are work against the the the, the, the laws of the, the the rule of law in, um, in in Germany and the German constitution. I mean, actually, the, the bar is much lower in Germany for banning these parties because of the Nazi past. So the question is, you know, could they or should they, you know, simply ban this party out of existence? I mean, ultimately, it's a solution. It looks it's kind of alluring because it kind of. Looks looks easy, and in the past, West Germany, you know, did uh, outlaw um, uh, political parties that were very close to the the Nazi Party, the NSPAD, kind of after the um, in, in the nineteen fifties, and they also banned the the DKP, the German Communist Party. And in fact, in those cases, you know, they, 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 it's not the case that, um, you know, there were the other parties popped up saying mostly the same things. It was, it, was, it was basically successful. But, I mean, I think, first of all, there's the question is, can you simply ban a party that's polling 30%? I mean, we live in democracies. If 30% of the people are saying this is what they want, and this people represent them, I mean, how can you just simply ban it? Mm. Um you know, where, where's the, you know, what, what legitimacy is, is in that? And if it's too small, I mean, the Germans have also decided they can't ban it because they won't want to ban it because it's not, it's not relevant enough to ban. Um, uh, so, so it, that doesn't, I mean, I would conclude that banning these far right parties is not feasible and it's not really an option that we've got much bigger problems here that we have to deal with as democracies as 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 societies um that and ask you know wh wh why is it that that so many people have turned away from you know, democratic policies democratic parties the democratic system and why are they running into the arms of hard right racist xenophobic parties that i would say obviously have no real answer for them and that's the big question we have to try to answer, and I'll be doing that in the upcoming year. Well, Paul, that surely is a big question for all of us to think about. I mean, again, at the end of the day, when it comes to the word democracy, it's not just about the individual rights, and also it's not just about this political freedom. It's really about what we called, I, I, I want to be careful, it's the word negotiation. You know, again, it's bending the political party won't solve any crisis. And bending the political party, it's not going to be the solution once and for all. I mean, again, ultimately, the citizens and the voters, and they are the recipients of any changes. And for any country, we need to be careful and we shall be uh, thoughtful and considerate. And when it comes to policy, when it comes to political rights, and of course, the, the word it's democracy and the word it's freedom. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Paul Hockenos. Again, Paul Hockenos, it's a Berlin-based journalist, and his recent book, it's Berlin Calling, A History of Anarchy, Music, and the Wall, and the Birth of the New Berlin. Well, Paul, it's always been a pleasure speaking to you, and thank you so much for your efforts and your time to join the show throughout the year of 2020. 
2023. And we love to have you back on the show for this upcoming year and wish you a happy holiday. And also, of course, we're looking forward to having more conversations with you, not just about Germany, but also about the fairs around the world. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you very much, Will.